You are listening to episode 10 of the Take the Reins podcast with Nikki Porter. Welcome, and thanks for stopping by. You're listening to Take the Reins, a weekly personal growth podcast for horse owners. If you're invested in becoming the best version of yourself in all your relationships, both human and equine, this is the spot for you. Through our conversations, you will learn how to become a stronger communicator, leader, and deepen the connection you crave both in and out of the arena. Horses have an awful lot to teach us, yet very little of it actually has to do with horses. They reflect back to you who you are emotionally, physically, and energetically. They are a mirror to your soul, and it is time to take an honest look at who you are and who you want to become. I can't wait to connect with you, so here we go. Oh gosh, guys, here is an interview you are going to love. If you follow the reining industry at all, this guest will be no stranger. He's an NRHA million dollar rider, has ranked in the top 20 NRHA professionals for the past seven years, ranking seventh overall in 2019. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with an introduction for Franco Bertolani because his lessons for you are in his story. Today, he's going to teach you about a dream brought to a reality through hard work, perseverance, and dedication. Let's dive into this conversation. Here's Franco. Hello, Franco. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me. Uh, I'm just so honored to be able to speak to you today and to be able to bring your story to our audience. I've been waiting for this conversation for a little while. I was very appreciative when you said yes. So it's uh, it's something that I'm really looking forward to. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And it's my pleasure to be with you today. All right. So we're going to dive right in. I have to say that your story of becoming an NRHA million dollar rider is definitely an inspiring one. And I'd love if you could tell me and my listeners how you achieved this, given that reining really wasn't as well known of a discipline in Brazil when you first got started. Well, that's a kind of long story. Yeah, it was a, a big deal for me to become a million dollar rider because you now it's so different when the a little kid just born in U.S. and a little kid just born in Brazil. Mm-hmm. So when you're born in U.S. and you're American, maybe you grow up in the middle of the horse shows, maybe your parents are horse trainers. So that makes it so easy for you to become mm-hmm. a horse trainer and be a million dollar one day. It's different for me. Like I was like a little kid born in a small town in Brazil. My family had nothing to do with the horses. I was the only one. And I had no horse shows to go and no horse trainers to ride with. So mm-hmm. it was, was pretty tough in the beginning. So, but no, I, I just kept going, tried to learn the more I can and, and be a billion dollars. So we never think about that. It was a, a dream for me, but it's too far away when I was young, you know, and that, mm-hmm. and that is things start to happen slowly. And, and that I went to, from Brazil, I went to Italy. To Italy, I came over here in Texas, in the U.S., and I came like just one, one fifty thousand money earners because everything I went in Brazil, they, the Brazilian Reining Horse Association that time was not affiliated from an RHA, so all the money earners didn't count. 
and they didn't pay anyway so good anyway but but that i i came here uh with 150,000 like i said and in 7 years i became a million dollar so i wasn't even expect that even when i came here because it was still too far away but mm -hmm. now you go for 5 600,000 700,000 you think oh maybe i can do it and there you get like 800,000 900,000 said oh no i have to do it so <laughs> and, and it was and it was a, a big deal for me i don't think like the million dollars is a big deal. It is a big deal, but I think a lot of people can do it. But for me, it's, it's, very, it's a lot of special because of where I came from. So that's make it very special to me. How did you get introduced to the reigning world if it really wasn't that popular and you weren't really around the horses very much when you were young? Well, I, I just run like almost like all the kids in Brazil run some barrel racings or rope or calf rope and team rope. I did all those things. And I had my, my dad bought a stud. He was a cutting bloodline and he could, we used those horse to do some reining that time. And I had some people that I could send that horse and they put some reining foundation and that I started with 14 years old, start to, 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 learn a little bit but it's an old very old style we're not talking about this raining we do today you know and that's the first time i found a horse or i just stopped horse and and but it was very maybe we didn't have even maybe no i'm sure we didn't have any slide shoes on you know <laughs> and you know it's very 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 in the beginning for so that was the first time i was riding with this guy and he he was a, a very normal horse trainer but he did he did everything, not just reining. And on that special horse, he put some job. I was kind of like a known pro that time. And, and I just, that first time I, I started, I, I had introduced by, for the reining. What was it about the reining that made you feel like that was the thing you wanted to pursue? Yeah, I think that, well, even if my dad never was in the horse business, but he always liked reining, like technical. Like mm -hmm. it's a very, 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 he said, you should, you should stop run those barrels or rope mm -hmm. or you need something like more more technical and more mm -hmm. pretty and, and and that's influenced me a lot on that and I was a little tired too I did that maybe for seven eight nine years uh, running barrels or thing I said I need do something different and yeah. and that's that's what the way I choose keeping raining because after when I met raining the first time and then I keep going on in raining I didn't do anything else after mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. Throughout your journey of becoming a professional rider, what do you think the most difficult thing that you've had to persevere through has been? It's really hard for me, especially in the beginning, it's try to learn, try to to be a horse trainer, to be a good one. Because like today is much easier, but like I said, when I want to be a learn and about training horse, I had to I had 16 years old, I flew to Nebraska, US just to work for a horse trainer. You know, we don't have internet, we don't have cell phones that that time. So I leave everything at home and just flew flew over to 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 work a year for for a horse trainer. Uh, every time I want to learn something, I have to come watch the NRJ feature, they spend so much nights right, uh, looking, watching those big guys riding. So it was much hard to learn. And today you can learn by a video call or, or mm -hmm. videos or something. So there is much easier for me. It was harder for the language, stay away from my family. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's been really, really difficult. So, and I think 
I think that's make me, but the good thing, I always had this open mind to learn. I always knew the things I learned are going to help me in the future. So, and I think was, was, was this point to learning from the beginning was, was really hard. When you decided to move out of your home country and go and, and work for someone else, was the goal of being a professional rider the end goal for you all along? Or were you kind of just feeling like you just wanted to be in that horse world? Did you always have this goal to be where you are right now? Yes, I, I, the, I was lucky that pretty young, I decided I decide to be a horse trainer. I want to be a horse trainer. And I work all my life to try to be a good one. So, but mm-hmm. like I said, it was, my dream was so far away because mm-hmm. like it was, everything was so hard, so difficult to me. And so, and I, I just, doesn't matter if, where I was, like in Italy and Brazil or here, I always try to do the best I can. So mm-hmm. always was my goal to be, to be a horse trainer and try to be one of the best one or good ones, you know, do the right way my job and be good on my job. That was since the beginning. I think that's helped us a lot. Some people, they just are a little confused when they started. They, some ones want to be a horse trainer just to, to be on a horse ward, like you said. Some ones uh, like it but doesn't like too much. I don't know, but I was, I was pretty sure at that time that I, I would like to be a horse trainer. And that helps me to follow my dreams. Mm-hmm. And did you think that you would get to where you are as quickly as you have? Yeah, well... I'm not that young anymore, but, <laughs> but, but yes, I think so. I, I think that surprised me here in the U.S. because I'm mm-hmm. almost seven years here, not much. And like I said, from 150000 I become a million dollar right. in seven years. That was so quick for me. I was really surprised about that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, new here in the U.S., but I'd be, I have all my history since I, 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 I was in Brazil and in Italy. So I brought with me a lot, a lot of experience, mm-hmm. but of course I need the right opportunity. And I had here good horses, right opportunity. And that's, they make become a little faster. I was a little surprised I, to be honest, but, but I'm happy. I, I'm, I'm good with this. <laughs> Who's been the most influential in your journey and your success? I think the other horse trainers, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. I, I, I can like, like sometimes you know it's it's hard to wake up every morning and ride your horses and 10 head of horses or even more and make your horses working good make the customers happy you know so it's hard that but you have to be consistent and mm-hmm. i think like when i work sometimes i work in the, i wake up in the morning and I'm, I'm a little tired sore i don't want to do it but then i think about the other big guys horse trainers they are riding that time so that's making me get up and go ride you know mm-hmm. i think that's making me pushing me a lot you know and i and i push myself a lot i, I i'm pretty competitive i i just like since i was i was a little kid and i was playing soccer in brazil so i I've been always like that. I don't do so much things on my life, but the ones I do, I try to do good and be competitive. Mm-hmm. And if, I, if I'm not good in some, something, I won't do it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in your opinion, okay. what is the most important advice that you could give someone who plans to get the most out of their rides with their horse or their horses? So like you say that you, you, you know, you get up in the morning, sometimes it's not so easy. And not all of us are going to go out there and have to ride 10 head of horses a day. But I'm sure that if you could give one piece of advice for people who even if they're just going out to ride one horse a day, what do you what would you say to them for the 
for that to be the most successful and the most productive time with their horse? Well, this kind of job doesn't matter if you do for a job, be a horse trainer or just a non-pro that you ride one horse, one horse a day. But the most important thing, there's no secrets. When I give my clients, everybody asks you, what's your secret? What do you can mm-hmm. tell something different. I don't think there's a circuit. There's a hard work and consistent. You need you need to ride every day. You need to make your horse better every day if you can. If you don't can, if you can't, you can you have to get some help. But I think it's hard work and be consistent. You cannot like ride your horse so hard one day, leave it two or three days on a walker on the stalls or turn out and ride again the next after three days and expect that he's gonna be better. You know, so I think even if you're a known pro, it's just like try to ride much as much you can. You know, I know sometimes people work, there's different jobs, it's harder, but try to to be consistent because that one you make you successful when you're going to show. What do you think your average ride time is? Now, I know it probably varies based on what you're working on and with the particular horse, but what do you think your average saddle time per horse is? Well, yeah, exactly. Depends on the horse and depends on the program you have for each horse. You know, like, of course, like, I don't like to, I I like to go straight through where the problem is and try mm-hmm. to have all my tools that I learned all, all of those years. And that's all my tools to try to fix or make some improvement. But I don't like to override. I don't, I don't think I ride more than 30, 35 minutes each horse, you know, mm-hmm. some ones maybe. And that depends the the horse. Sometimes you can ride like horses for an hour and a half and the horse don't even get sweaty. And you right. can horse ride the horse in 15 minutes and you can almost like override override mm-hmm. them so I, I think like my average is like 30 35 minutes and i i try to go straight where the problem is to make the improvement and i don't like to ride too much i think even because like if you have 10 horses a day you cannot spend so much time with your mm-hmm. horse otherwise you won't ride all them right. all day this summer that you had the opportunity to ride at the first run for the million what kind of mental and physical preparation goes into you preparing for a show like that for both you and your horses? Of course, it was a was a first of all it was a, a great great horse show. You know, mm-hmm. this this the Paramount put together for the big big event for the reigning sport. So, mm-hmm. and I and I I love that because we can feel a lot of people. Uh, interesting about the ring after that they fall in the run for the meet and uh, the show was great a lot of people you know so the preparation maybe you won't believe me but I I, I try to prepare my horse like I used to prepare for any horse shows like in RBC Derby and now I know it's a million dollar deal I know it's a lot of cameras I know it's a very important but you know at the end you I warm up with the same faces same guys and <laughs> we've been show all year so um, I just try to be to be more careful about soundness about like make keep my horse happy I school him a lot because you know he's a six years old he's been showing a lot so mm-hmm. and but i i honestly i don't i don't feel i, I know it was, was a different show but i don't feel that difference to make something different to prepare because even if i do i won't be smart because like uh, uh, just because the pressure for the money or for the important that show if i try to do something different that what i've been do every year so i won't be smart you know so the preparation was was kind of the same what he used to do for the regular shows that we have during the year 
Now, majority of us will never compete for that level of competition, but walking into the ring at a local show, I find can sometimes feel like that amount of pressure for riders that I've worked with. I know that I've walked into a ring before and felt the pressure of, you know, expectations of myself and expectations of people outside. So what advice can you give riders who are looking to compete really at any level with the main focus on showcasing their horse to the best of their abilities? I believe that 75% happen when Chopin is because like you're not you're not clear or simple with your horse you know what you don't you use maybe not the same cue that you use every day you know i give you some examples if you want like uh some people um use the same cue when they go show for different maneuvers like for example if you go and slow down you take out you open your both legs and and you and when you go stop you open your both legs too so and you you're using the same cue for two different maneuvers mm -hmm. you know so that's a for example i can give you another example on a turnaround if uh, when i turn around i open my inside leg and, and if i don't i use just my hands and when i go and roll back i use it onto my hands i'm gonna do the same cue for two different maneuvers there's a big risk when i ask you to turn around my course jump out from the turn you know like think mm -hmm. about rollback those kind of things i think like uh, what make the people nervous and feel depression is because you didn't do your homework mm -hmm. and have to be more familiar i know the known pros felt little feel a little more because they don't ride so much so and that's normal because they are not doing that every day but a horse trainer that rides every day and and and, and train them horses they they have to be this preparation is so important to me like you just make everything clear for your horse you know I, i'm not saying every time you go show it's it's your fault some horses is not a show horse but 75 percent i think like what happened in the show pen people feel depression because they are not very they didn't do the, the homework they just don't try to be clear and simple for your horse for each maneuver and gonna do it so and what's that's what i think and for non-pro my advice is just ride more than can just make mm -hmm. that and and the horse trainer have to make this distance from the show pen to the uh, to the warm-up pen very close to where the non-pro just have this just make more together you know, because you cannot ride a horse at home one way and show in another way. That's mm -hmm. that's what I think. That's make you feel a lot of pressure. But if you know what you're doing, you'll be prepared. You did your homework. Your horse trainer make a good job with you. So mm -hmm. I think like you can still be a little nervous or feel depression. But I think uh, more you you know what you're gonna do less pressure you're gonna you're gonna mm -hmm. feel. Yeah. So the confidence is really just gained through the work that sometimes we're avoiding to do really it just comes down to preparation and hard work and then the confidence comes behind it exactly i 100 percent agree yeah what has been your biggest challenge since deciding to start your business as a professional horseman so since you've let's go to since you've been to texas so i know that you had some struggles just changing climate and you know leaving home but what has it been since you really settled into the u.s I think you know, that's what I try as a be consistent, you mm -hmm. know, because like for me, a big title is so important, but big title, don't understand me wrong, but you have to be a little lucky for that mm -hmm. because like 
I give you an example. Like when you go show for 30 finals, derby finals, and RBC finals, doesn't matter. I'm saying about big shows. You, you have to be a little lucky about your draw, what time, mm -hmm. if you were right after the drag, mm -hmm. if he, the guy, the horse and the rider can beat you, do some over spins, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Right. You, 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 yeah, you have to be a little lucky to win. I'm not saying it's all lucky. You mm -hmm. have to be good and prepare, that's, that's good, but you have to be. But when you're consistent, you be consistent, like every year you make the finals, every year top five, every year you do a good job on your horse, every year you make your clients happy, every year you get a top 20. So those things for me, it's so important. God, that's not lucky. That means that you're doing your job, mm -hmm. you know? So and that's my pretty big goal to keep that, you know, because mm -hmm. like how somebody going to send you a good horse if you can one year you go there and you'll be top five or you won the third and then you disappear, you mm -hmm. know? So it's, it's for me, my, my big goal is, my, is this. It's like be consistent every year, every horse show, and try to do the best I can. And that shows in your ratings where you are, have been in the top 20 for the last seven years, has it been? So this, yes. year, this year you were seventh. How does that compare to the last seven years? Well, I'd be, I was like 17 last year. I was third and fourth one year. So it's, it's like, yeah, it's unbelievable how your goals change too. Mm -hmm. Like I tell you, like my dream when I came to watch an RTA for 30, uh, when I was young, I was living in Brazil, always being like to show in that arena, to show mm -hmm. one horse, just go through the gate one time. You know, and then I had the opportunity to come over here and show. Mm -hmm. And that I my my goal and the fraternity, for example, is make the open finals. Right. And I did right. the last six years. So, and then now my goal is to win the fraternity. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. I was two time in reserve. So now my goal is to win the fraternity. So it's unbelievable how your goals change. Of mm -hmm. course, I'm very happy to be be top twenty in the last seven years. But of course, I want more, and I'm working so hard to get even more. That's that's normal my personal, you know. I'll tell you a little story because it's funny. It's actually kind of strange to hear someone who like I just sat in this in the stands and watched you show. It would have been my first time seeing you show. So my husband and I traveled to the Futurity. It was our first time at the Futurity. And it's kind of funny to listen to you say that you, you know, you sat in those stands and you looked at the ring and your goal was to walk through that that gate and show at least one horse. I am new into reining and I bought my first reining horse just this past summer. And I sat in those stands just, I'd say, what, are we two weeks away now? I think it was two weeks ago. Um, yes. And probably had very similar feelings to how you felt. I don't necessarily want to be a horse trainer or a reining trainer per se, but that there was something about that energy of that building and, and you know that that feeling of oh like i i feel like i could do this and exactly. uh, so i sat there and my favorite part of the whole show was being in the stands it was 1:30 in the morning 2 o'clock in the morning and watching all of these amazing riders work with their horses and seeing like trying to figure out okay like what correction are they making there or or why are they working with their horse that way? And it, that was my favorite part of the entire week of being there. And it's just, yeah, it's kind of funny to hear someone at your level relate back to how they felt when they're kind of still at the beginning stages of, of building their dreams. So exactly. as, 
as someone who's new into it, I really appreciate. Um, yeah, yeah, yes. That that's was was very thrilled. I I I, I made about. I was 10 or 15 years in Brazil and I every year I came to watch the fraternity and I spent so much nights just like watching those guys and try to figure out and learn and and I remember when finished the fraternity I had my friends they want to go dinner right after the finals and I always wait until the awards I I always said one day I'm going to be there so mm -hmm. I think that's the most important thing for each person that to to hit them dreams or falling them dreams, you know, and and I think that's that's amazing. Yeah, one of the coolest parts was that you know we were there during the semifinals. Most people go during the finals, and uh, we were planning on being there to the during the finals. And our daughter actually ended up having a dance recital, so we we came home in order to go and watch her. And okay. the nice thing about being there during the semifinals was that. It was great to be able to see everybody just being people. So sometimes I feel like when you go just to the to the big part of the show. So when you just go to the finals, you see those guys and and they're at such a level that it's almost not relatable. You can't see them being people anymore. You're just they're on such a big stage. But at the semifinals, it was really nice to be able to you know, see the different riders. And I'm, I was sitting in stands with, with some riders that I would look at and be like, oh my gosh, like, I don't, I don't know how they could have got to that level. But then you really watch them work and they're, they're a lot more relatable when you can just kind of be in the background during, during those semifinals and see them just having the conversations and see them talking to the non-pros and cheering on the non-pros. So it was really cool to be able to relate to them in a sense that I was like, okay, well, the rest of the people here aren't that much different than them. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of lot of things going on, you know, to make a, a good run, you know, it's everything. So in and of course like when you go to the semi semifinals you'll see much more horses, much more riders than just in the finals. And usually when you go to the finals, the top thirty on the level four horse a little tired. They've been mm -hmm. there for ten days. They you know they showed twice already. So and but semifinal was a pretty good deal they did and 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 it was a pretty good this year. I think there's so many good horses and and nice runs too. I think you, you, you didn't miss the, the best part. <laughs> no, we, yeah, we really enjoyed it. You know, I plan on, on going and being able to watch for a few years to come, but if someone came to you and said that they had a big dream and they weren't sure if it was tangible, they weren't sure if it was something that they could do, what would you say to them? Oh, first of all, I think that like a, when I said I was lucky when I was young that I decided to put in my mind I want to be a horse trainer. So I would advise those people just make sure what they want. You know, maybe try for 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 a few months or a few years. I don't know. I won't I won't go so long because like if you go too long, you know, trying to do something that you are not very patient or you're not very you don't love to do that, I think you're gonna lose so much time. But as long as you decide I wanna be this, just try your best. That's what that's what I think. Because if mm -hmm. you're if you're doing something that you're not loving, you're not so much passionate on this, it you 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 might be okay, but you won't be good that good. You know, mm -hmm. those the job we do, like I'm sure the, the big top level four riders, they love what they do. They mm -hmm. they just don't wanna do just for money because like just this is more than than the this this way more you know if you have to want to be good if you want you want to win you want to be the another guy you want to everything 
just like to do that is not enough. Absolutely. Okay. So to finish off our conversation, I'd love to know what you believe the most important lesson working with horses has taught you. Uh, to be honest, I think it's patient. <laughs> yeah, I, I like, um, since I was a little kid, I used to play soccer. I almost became professional in Brazil because we play a lot of soccer there. Mm -hmm. And I remember my coach always said, Franco, you're too rush. You want to win too much. You want to score all the time, you know. So just easy, you know. And that was I, and that I stopped, I quit soccer because I love horses and I want to be horse trained, like I, t I told you. And and I brought that to me when I started training. And in the beginning, it was like, uh, was hard to me because I want to maybe jump some few steps. I want to make my horse like red and they were not ready. I want to win the 30. I want to end everything I, wish I got. I, I was show. So I was very, I was not passionate at all. And that, like I said, like I, I, I wanna, I wanna be one of the best. I wanna, and that's make, and that's hurt me a lot because I didn't do a good job. I, I lose a lot from that. So, and I learn a lot from that too. So, and that's what happened. I, I would like a little older, more mature, more of course learning a lot. I almost open to learn. I'm not saying I'm gonna change whole my program because I trust and I believe my program because I worked a lot of years to do that. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm always open to add something that make my life better and easier. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if I become, I don't have to learn from a big level four rider. If I see a level one rider doing something I like it, mm -hmm. I go ask, mm -hmm. and I, 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 it doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. So in that, like back to the patient, I, I, I just like, learn a lot from that from the horses they they taught me frank you need to wait you, we need to take time you cannot make we turn us turn like in in, in a month you cannot make we stop about a month no mm -hmm. so that that's that i think the best thing and i brought from my life too and i think if i have a word to tell you what the horse taught me was was the patient and i today i can really take my time i i have more experience i i i made much less a lot of less mistakes that i used to so but that's that's come from from the horse taught me mm -hmm. that's awesome i feel like that's one lesson that a lot of people in our horse community could learn from because i see a lot of people who you know they swing a leg over and and maybe they don't understand the level that the horse is is at or um, you know, what an expectation of a horse might be at a certain level. And then they feel like they have to put so much pressure on a horse in order to get the amount out of them that they want. So they create so much pressure for that horse that the patients, if they had have known that the patients was actually going to create more try from the horse versus the pressure, then maybe they would take a step back from that. Does that make sense? Yes, you're right. I completely understand. I think the first thing, first of all, you have to think about what's your game, what's your ball game. Right? If you're showing level four here in the U.S., you have to put some pressure because mm -hmm. the owners put pressure on you. The owners put pressure on you, so you have to put pressure on the horse. Mm -hmm. So that's normal because you need mark over to 20 every time you show. Mm -hmm. But when you go to a small show, weekend show, you just have to mark 7172. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just a couple plus half maneuvers and stay out of penalty box. You're good so you don't have to train your horse or prepare a horse to try to mark 74 even if you don't have the quality of the horse to mark that 
or even you, you, I mean, like people, those is not capable to go and mark 74. Mm -hmm. So just step by step. One day, if your ball game is like showing you as and be a level four rider, it's different. But if you're just starter, you're just beginner, you just want to show having fun on the weekend. So just don't, don't put the, that pressure. Just try to be, stay out of penalty box, mm -hmm. do a couple plus half maneuvers, and you're in the game. You know, mm -hmm. that's it. Because like you said, if you start to push too much or put so much pressure and you don't need that, you, you might create a lot of problems, you know, mm -hmm. especially if the horse is not capable to do it. Or even you, like the people, the person, the people are not capable to do it. So, just just take the time, just just read your situation, just just like uh, know what you needed, what you need to mark to do good. So, when that's falling, and go there, go from there. Don't don't try to do over because over sometimes means really bad. <laughs> mm -hmm. Franco, do you start your own horses as well, or do you have someone that starts and then you take them at a certain age? No, I don't start anymore. I did for a lot of years, but now, now I have like two guys start with like, we start like 22 earlings like last month. So mm -hmm. I have two guys doing that, but I try, I like to ride my horse a little early. I don't wait too much. Most the trainers, they wait until after the tour to, to start to ride them two come three. Mm -hmm. My two come three for next year, I've been riding since August. Okay. So I'm I'm not very good on catch ride. I, I like to do my own own work. You know, I like to mm -hmm. make the horse broke that the way I want. And I, I'm not saying people other people doesn't do a good job. I'm saying that there's a lot of good one good people around. But I'm just want to always when you ride a horse, you you always gonna think, Oh, I like him more this way, I like him like that way, you know. Mm -hmm. So and that's the way I I really like to train my horse. And that's true because like most of the horse I I train and I did good. And I, most horse we start at home. I never had a buyer to buy a horse like three or four months before the third and go show. If mm -hmm. I have, probably won't be good like the one I start at home because I, I like to know them a lot before I go to the big shows. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So do you personally spend a lot of time with your horses? I know that there's some trainers who, you know, the, the horses are brought in and, and they swing a leg over, but I feel like you know your horses really well. I spend my time riding. I don't spend my time, right. some, yeah. much time. Yeah, riding, yes. Another thing I do, I work very close to my vet because mm -hmm. I always want to be a horseman that I know what's going on. If my horse, I can feel if the horse is not, not doing good because he's sore or he's having problems or, or no, it, it's no problem at all. I just need to ride better, you know? Mm -hmm. I have to, I try to make, make uh, feel that difference because mm -hmm. I know some horse trainers, they, they don't care about that or they doesn't matter. They just ride the horses and the horse become lame. They send to the clinic or the vet mm -hmm. and ride when they, I like to participate more with my vet about that. Even my sure, you know, mm -hmm. but I let them do them job because they're professional, but I always want like to know everything because that helped me how train, you know, mm -hmm. to train my horses, you know, I don't want like if my horse is sore, I'd override and make even worse. So, mm -hmm. and uh, so I work a lot with both those professionals too. And do you, so if you had a little horse come in and they rode quite different, let's say two times in a row, do you automatically go to this might be a physical issue and try to take care of it? Or do you kind of work through the physical first and then uh, try to, to weed out the training side of it? Well, if the horse come in, I always like to ask the owner 
when the horse come in and I don't know the horse, then my vet just do a kind of mm -hmm. checkup, you know, just check everything, flex all four legs and just touch him all over and see, no, the horse is fine. I first I ask, first of all, I ask to the owner, you know, the horse is sound, he's been good, he's never been lame. I want a little bit of history to, mm -hmm. to have idea. And if the horse is okay, I always try to ask the owner to make my horse, my vet just check up a little bit. And, and I want to know if the horse has some problem or not. That's helping mm -hmm. me to train. But of course, if the horse is riding good, normally in two days or three days on a row he's i feel something different it's a red flag for me so i i just try to maybe try to flex by myself if i don't see the in lameness i just ride one more time but if it's still not very i don't feel very good i try to to put my vet or my shoe and work together to make better I don't keep riding a horse that I feel like is sore or, mm -hmm. and the first thing I think I call the owner because I think that that's the first thing we can do. We have mm -hmm. to do like owner have to know everything like right away. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's the way I like to work. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important because I had a, a lady come in for a lesson quite recently and she just kind of said, well, I'd like to come in and work with you. My horse has been bucking lately and she's never had this problem before. And so when she came in, the very first thing that I saw was that when she went to ask for the lope, the horse swished the tail before she picked up the lope. And then she looked uncomfortable. And, and so she continued. And then going the other direction, the horse bucked more than the, than the first direction. So I asked her, first of all, to like switch the saddle. Let's switch the saddle and see if there's something going on with your tack. And the horse didn't change. And if it did change, it actually got worse. So we switched the saddle back to the other one. And, and I pretty much shut the, the lesson down and said, I think that it's really important that we make sure that this isn't a physical issue. And I think sometimes as trainers or as educators or people who are, are taking money from others in order for, or for their services, sometimes it's hard to say to them, there might be a problem here and it's not a problem that training is going to fix, that it's, it's more of a physical thing. So anyway, she got a chiropractor out and found out that the horse was pretty locked up in the hind end and then also did some other testing and just found out this week that the horse has hind and, and front ulcers. So, you know, the horse was being pretty stoic all, all along and she really felt as though it was going to be a training problem. And I think that it's becoming more common for people to recognize that majority, well, I shouldn't say majority of the time, but sometimes it really has nothing to do with the training and it's, it's that physical problem and that we don't need to train that problem out of them, get that out of the way through the use of vets, chiropractors, whatever. What, what do you use for maintenance for your horses, if you don't mind me asking? Well, we have, yeah, back to what you're saying, I, I completely agree with you. But also, I want to say that's because of the way I, I would like to work together with those professionals because that you you become horsemen you, you start to mm -hmm. understand the horse from the bottom not just when you ride yeah. but I also and I agree like you when you feel something like when you know about the horses you fall in them you know the history and that's very important like something like go wrong like with the horse that you told me yeah you we need to find different directions like you you guys did but like I also you can you you have to be smart enough to don't like I'm not like I'm not liking my horse like don't stop 
first time, I just call my sure, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, or right. my horse doesn't turn to the right, I just call my vet. So mm -hmm. you have to be, understand few things, like not just like, just like blame other mm -hmm. things like the sure or the vet if your horse doesn't work good. Just do your homework, do everything Excellent. you can. Everything is fine. Horse is still bad for a couple of days. Dad, you guys try to, to make something different to make better. You know, that's it. And back to your question, what I do to maintain my horses. I have a very nice nutrition program. I have a girl that massage and pulls my horses, the ones that I go to the show pretty often. And I, I use kind of supplements to make them healthy, better I can. And, and that's it. And I try to ride, be consistent. I just ride every day. I think most the, the problem you have, like physical problem with the horses, and when you don't ride every day, and you ride one time pretty hard or override, mm -hmm. and that leaves him two days in the stalls. That makes a little, a lot of, lot of soft tissues problems. Mm -hmm. Because like on the rainy horse, we have a lot of twists. And people always think about joints, about bones. We do have problems on that. But I think tendon, ligaments, muscles is more, uh, more often problems that, mm -hmm. that I, I can see on the rainy horses. So, uh, and when your horse is in shape, you ride every day. Even if you don't ride much, just a little bit, take him out of stalls and making them exercise that help, helps a lot keep your horse sound. What I do, especially on my top horses when I show before an RBC, before the Durbo, before the Fit 30, at least a month or two months before, I put them in a walker in the morning and I ride afternoon. So they always keep in movement. I never stay blocked in the stalls or block the muscles or something. I always make them get off from the stalls. It's also good for their minds and for physical too. You do this for your horses. Are you kind of thinking the same way about yourself as well? So like you do the supplements and the massage and those sort of things for yourself as well? Well, I tell you, I should, but I'm lazy, you know, for that. I try to, I try, what I try to do, I, before, like, the big shows or the before the show season, just try to be a diet a little bit, but I, want, I don't want to be too heavy for my horses. I try to play tennis sometimes, but sometimes I ride, like, 10, 12 horses a day. I get so tired and I don't have much effort to go to play tennis. But that's the only thing I do. I don't take any supplements I don't take in massage I don't take anything I just I just try to to be to be an athlete but yeah. just not over do something like something like different you know right. superficial I, I just like try to be normal I don't change a lot yeah. good good to know well yeah. Franco I really can't thank you enough for speaking with me today I'm excited to get to ride with you when you come to Nova Scotia hopefully when you come here you'll be able to go around and see some of the uh, the sites I believe it's late April when you're going to be here so it's not going to be the most beautiful time of year for you to be here but we have some great food and some great sites that I really hope that you get to experience as well. I'm assuming now, maybe I should be wrong, but I'm assuming this is your first time coming to Nova Scotia. Exactly. I just went, uh, honestly, I went one time to Montreal. Okay. I've uh, been in Canada one time, once. I, I, I'm pretty excited to go again and know that place. I always say the horse making me know the world and new places and new people. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty excited to go to Nova Scotia in, in April for sure. 
Well, I know that there's some very excited Rainers on the East Coast that can't wait to learn from you. And uh, first of all, before I leave, I want to say congratulations on another very successful year and uh, good luck in 2020. I hope that you have a great holiday season. I know that you get to have a little bit of a vacation coming up. So I hope you enjoy that and get to spend some time with family and friends. Yes, thank you. I, I, I honestly, uh, well, I think most of the horse trainers after the free need, the, after the 30, we need a little break. Mm -hmm. But also, I take maybe 10 days and I, I can't wait to come ride for next year. So okay. it's uh, the horse show is in our, our blood. We cannot stay away. <laughs> right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Franco. And uh, hopefully we can talk to you again sometime. Thank you. I really appreciate and thanks for having me today. Okay. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave a review and share it with your friends. To learn more about me and what else I have on the go, skip on over to NikkiPorter.ca. Thanks again for listening, and we'll connect again next week. Until then, remember, you have the power to take the reins and live the life you've always wanted. You just have to step into the arena with an open heart and an open mind.